Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's our very special guest, internationally renowned speaker and executive director of Student Reach and You Reach Global, Pastor Jeff Duvall. Could you stand with us this morning? I want to uh, open God's word with you today, and I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God, but I'd love if you'd pray with me. Say, Dear God, I'm so glad I'm here, and God, today, you can say whatever you want to me. Challenge me. Make me question things. Get in my face. I give you permission. I mean that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As you see, did look at the person next to you. Tell them if you just lied to God, you're in big trouble. Um, I don't know what you find funny, but I love awkward situations, and I want to uh, uh, share an awkward story. I don't know if you know, but Jesus, everywhere he went, because he was not like the world around him. Little pro tip here: if you want to change the world around you, looking just like it and thinking just like it is probably not the way to do that. Jesus made things weird everywhere that he went. Even his disciples couldn't tell what he is up to. And I love that. I don't know how you read the Bible. I read the Bible and I just go, oh man, this is going to get awesome, right? I've read this story before. I love this one. I love awkwardness. Uh, just a uh, week before last, we were uh, walking through Hope Village with my uh, program director, the amazing Kylie Berg, um, who is this incredible 30-year-old girl who is single and runs all of our programs in Baja. And as we were walking through, Pastor Sergio, said, hey, you know what I could use your help with? And I said, what's that? He said, we need to find Willard a wife. And I said, <laughs> Kylie is unmarried right here. I mean, she'll, I said, she'd have to settle a little bit, but yeah, I mean, right here. And we walked away and, and Pastor Sergio said, hey, um, that was a little awkward. I said, that's what I love. Yes. And he said, I don't think Willard liked that. I go, yeah, I don't care. I was eating popcorn, you know, let's see what happens here. <laughs> Jesus made things weird. And in the story that we're going to look at today, it's actually a story inside of a story. Jesus is at a banquet, tells a story about another banquet. I know, so meta, right? Um, and in Luke 14, um, it tells the story of Jesus. He's invited to a banquet, and all the important people are there. And instead of just enjoying the fact that he's gotten invited to this place where all these important people are there, he makes it weird. And starting in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, it says this. He turned to the host and said, 
Hey, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, or rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Jesus was not very PC. And then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. I want to talk to you today about how the kingdom comes. What does it mean? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about any other thing. It encompassed all his ideas of redemption of the world and what the world would look like. But what does it mean? Because it's a little bit confusing. And in this story, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And somebody sits there and they said, man, this is weird. One person gets it and says, kingdom of God banquets are going to be different than banquets here. The banquet that Jesus was at was a networking banquet. Now, I'm a networker. It's my job to raise a lot of money every year, but also I have to get a lot of people to do a lot of things. Sometimes people ask me, they say, how do you talk seven or 800 people a year into going on trips with you to go live on a dirt road somewhere for a week or two weeks at a time? And I said, easy. I never shut up. I'm just always talking about what I'm doing. My life is just a series of lines in between coffee shops and lunch appointments. Everywhere I go, all the time, talking, talking, talking to people about that. I understand some networking. The people at this banquet, the guy who put it on, he understood networking. Now, you and I live in a society of laws and regulations and forms that we have to fill out, and there's a little bit of who you know that goes into it. But in Jesus' society, like the societies that we work in, in Zambia, you go everywhere, everybody knows Sam. Everybody knows Sam. And if they don't know Sam, they'll know Sam, and he'll be a legend in five minutes. In Mexico... We go, we have to know everybody. We have to sit down, long lunch appointments. All, you have to do this kind of networking. And that's the kind of society that Jesus lived in where if you knew the right people, you had access not only to resources but to favors and even justice. Injustice couldn't be done with you. And Jesus at a banquet where the politicians and the business people and the rich people, the movers and shakers, the networkers were all there. So when he stands up and says, listen, you got all the wrong people here if you're trying to build the kingdom of God, they think, what are you, crazy? When he says, listen, these people that are here, they, you can do them this favor, but they'll reward you back. And the guy who makes the banquet, he, like he put it on, he's like, yeah, what do you think I'm doing? Of course I want these people to pay me back. That's what we're doing. This is supposed to be a win-win situation. But Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, things are different because the kingdom of God is upside down. In the kingdom of God, status works differently. Everything is different. In Jesus' most famous sermon, he had already blown things out of the water when he stands up and he says, blessed are the poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Bless are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Bless are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Bless are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now, I know. We read the Bible, and if you've read the Bible a lot or even heard people quote it, we just kind of glance over things, you know. Blessed, we say blessed, it sounds better. Blessed are the poor. You ever been poor? You don't feel very blessed if you're poor, do you? You ever been insulted, excluded, hated? People call your name evil? That doesn't feel like a blessing, does it? When you're weeping, you don't say, I'm so blessed right now. When you're hungry and you don't know where your next meal is, it does not feel like a blessing. 
What is Jesus talking about? He goes on and says, woe if you're rich. By the way, by the way, I should just clue you into something. We don't have poverty in the United States. We have relative poverty. I don't have as much as somebody else. But if you want to see real poverty, join me somewhere in the world, 40% of the world, who does not have a flushable toilet, who have never had a shower. And we start talking about what poverty really looks like. Jesus says, whoa, if you're rich, it's a warning. Be careful. You don't get it. You don't understand it. He says, if you've never had to worry about where your next meal is coming from, whoa, whoa, whoa. Careful, you don't get it. If everyone accepts you and you fit in, you are not doing this right. The upside down kingdom has a different set of rules. It's a place where the lowly are valued. It's a place where just a couple of cents from a lady who's given her last two cents is worth more than the rich guy who's given out of his excess. It's where the first are last and the last are first. Everything's different. The kingdom is upside down. You know, you might be thinking as I read this scripture, if you've been in church for a while, it's just blessed are the poor. And you say, isn't it blessed the poor in spirit? That's the way Jesus told us in the book of Matthew. It says blessed are the poor in spirit. But it's interesting because Jesus is saying, listen, this mindset of poverty is what you need. You say, well, I've been around poor people. They're always looking for a handout. They always need help. And Jesus is saying that mindset where you say, God, I cannot make it by myself. I desperately need your, your help or I'm in big trouble. He says, that's the mindset that you need. I talk to people and they say, oh, man, I love what you do. It's not for me, but, man, I just want to bless you as you go. And I go, you're not poor. You can't even be poor. In you can't even spend a week with these people. How are you ever going to get what is going on? And Jesus says, it's a blessing when you're in that place. But when Jesus is talking to these people at the banquet, when he says, invite the poor, they don't hear poor. What they hear is worthless. I can tell you right now, those people, there's no reason to bring those people here. They don't have anything to give. I can tell you right now, I've been all over the world, more than 40 countries. I've been, uh, this year, I'll spend uh, four months living on a dirt road with people. And I can tell you why people are poor. It's not because they won't work hard. I'll tell you what, I've been around some of the hardest working people you have ever seen. But it's that the skills that they have are not valuable enough to be traded for enough money that they can get themselves out of poverty. They don't have valuable skills. So when Jesus says poor, they hear worthless. But he goes on and he goes one step lower, if you will. He says invite the blind, the crippled, the lame. What is he talking about? He's talking about people that not, they don't just lack skills, but they need help on a daily basis to even make it through. If you live through an agrarian society, if you watch our VR video, you'll see as we're walking through some cornfields. And I mention in that, like, hey, if, if it doesn't rain enough, if this corn doesn't grow, people could starve to death because that's what they needed every day. And when people hear that somebody is, is poor and they're worthless, that's the kind of people they're talking about. But when you have a member of that family who can't take care of themselves, not only is that bad, somebody else has to step in and take care of that person. And that's below worthless. That's what people are hearing from Jesus when he's talking about that. But Jesus is saying, listen, the values have been switched. He tells the host, the strategy for advancement 
in the kingdom is all wrong. If he's trying to advance the kingdom, he's got it all wrong. Because in God's kingdom, the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, they are not misfits and outcasts. They are the influencers. They have God's ear. He hears the cries of those people. And if you want to get to God, you've got to get to know those people in the kingdom. Bible says God hears the cries of the poor and networking with the rich and famous won't get you anywhere because the last are first and the lowly are exalted in the kingdom of God the kingdom of God the misfits are not just at the table they have the honored seats everybody wants to get near them everybody wants them to owe them a favor everybody wants to fit in with them you know, in Baja, California, we've got 20,000 families that need a decent house. Last week, we, bought, we built house 145. We team with other ministries, and it's an amazing opportunity to see what happens. And I, just last week, here was a family, three boys and a, and a girl, or, or two girls and two boys, and the first three, their dad had been killed in an accident and they were living in a broken down RV. It's just an absolutely terrible situation. And I watched as those two boys, one of them eight and one of them 10, stood up in front of that group and said, thank you, my dad. It was his dream for us to have a house, but we knew it could never happen. We know God sent you along the way. There is extreme need, but we had a group of people that were even in tougher circumstances that we started to look at. Orphanages around the world are filled, but many of them, their parents are not deceased, and it is a, they're, they're orphans of poverty, families who cannot take care of them. And so we started to think about how can we keep families together, and we came up with an idea for something called Hope Village in Baja. And in 2017, I stood at the bottom of a hill that was just cactus and it was in the poorest neighborhood in the area that we work in there and I told people we're going to build homes here where we can take women who instead of having to turn their children in to an orphanage because they're escaping violence or trafficking or abandonment that we'll build homes for them we'll take them through a one to three year program where they can get back on their feet and we'll help them save up money to buy a piece of land of their own uh, and they can come with the clothes on their back. We'll give them financial counseling and parent counseling and trauma counseling. And people looked at me and said, okay, crazy person, maybe. I had a friend who was a pastor in San Diego. He, I said, can you help us? He said, I can see maybe I can get you $10,000, maybe $5,000. And after I met with the missions committee, he called me. He said, they liked the project. They just didn't like my number. We're going to give you $40,000 to get this started. I said, let me put you on hold while I'm hiring bulldozers down in Baja. He came a couple years later and he saw uh, what you're about to see on the screen here. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I can't believe you guys did it. Everything you see there, with the exception of pouring some concrete, was built by volunteers that have come along with us. It, even the playground that you see there. I said, you didn't believe in our project? You gave us $40,000? He said, you're very convincing. And I'll just tell you one story. Rosalia was a lady who came to us. She was sold by her own father when she was 12 years old to men in the neighborhood, disgusting men. Then he sold her to somebody else who sold her around the neighborhood. An even worse man came along who married her and fathered six children with her. But he beat them all on a regular basis. The final straw 
was that uh, he tried to kill the entire family who was in a drunken rage, taking a hatchet to a propane tank. He was going to blow it up and burn his whole family alive. When Rosalia came to us, she couldn't even read her own name in Spanish. She had never had one day of school. Her infant, who isn't in the picture, was dying from failure to thrive. The young lady you see there in the green was keeping her alive by putting Coca-Cola in a bottle and keeping her young infant sister alive. The boy that she's holding on to there, it's how he, he couldn't speak a word. He's autistic. But he knew how to take care of his little girls. The, the two twins that you see there on the right side of the picture, their names are Lely and Leilai. I don't know why they named them so close. These little girls are so beautiful, I like to say God made one. Instead of achieved perfection, I'm going to make another one that looks just like her. But when I got there, if I would show up there, if I even looked at them, they would cry and run the other direction. And their older brother, who couldn't talk, would pick up a rock and threaten you and say, I'll throw a rock at you if you try to go after uh, my, my sisters. Now, if you go there, Hadid is in a special needs program. He can talk. We play football. He's doing very well. He's still very autistic. And those two young girls, those two young girls think they're Instagram models. And sometimes I have to carry, they're big now, I have to carry them around the entire time I'm there. And, and it is amazing to see what has happened. 60% of the women in our program have moved from the clothes on their back to home ownership. Here's the thing. If you go through that neighborhood as one of the poorest neighborhoods, you look around and you see shacks, and then you look up on that hill and you see Hope Village, and people ask me, what is that place? It looks like Beverly Hills. And I say, in the kingdom of God, the discarded are valued. They are at the top of the heap. They have value. God is doing amazing things. When we decide, I'm going to recognize the upside-down kingdom. Not only is the kingdom upside-down, Jesus says the kingdom is already here. Luke 17, 21, he says, you won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. Jesus says, listen, you're looking for something that's coming. It's here. It's here. It's inside you. And listen, Jesus had these religious groups that are around him. Without going into all the history, there was these guys named the Essenes, and they just said, listen, if we're going to keep from being corrupted by this society, we're just going to withdraw. They lived in little communes. And then he had some people that were zealots. They said, the key is we've got to overthrow the Roman Empire. We've got to take political power. And then he had, if you look through the Bible, you'll see the guys, Sadducees, Pharisees. These are guys that said, we just need to go along to get along, do the best we can in this situation. Sound familiar? Some people say the world's dirty. I got to step back out of it. We got to, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those that do. Be careful. Some other people say, you know what we've got to do is it's all about the next election. If we could just get my guy elected. Sure, that's working out great. Some other people say, just go along to get along. Just compromise. It'll all be fine. And Jesus said the kingdom of God looks different. Withdraw? No. Be salt and light. Rebel? No. Turn the other cheek when somebody gives you the best shot that they can and there's nothing you can do about it. You go, hey, is that all you got? Because I got something stronger inside. Try this side. Compromise? No. Jesus says, don't invest where rust and moths destroy. Invest in an overlapping kingdom, something that's different. You're not trying to advance here. You're trying to advance in the kingdom of God. It's in eternity. And when we do that, it's all inside of us. We take it with us. Christianity changes things when it's real. When it's real. Do you know that Christianity is the only 
faith tradition and history that doesn't know a dominant ethnicity. If you take Islam, it's primarily people from North Africa and the Middle East and a few other people. If you go to Judaism, it's ethnic Jews. If you go to Hinduism, it's people from India and places around that place. Buddhism, Southeast Asia. Christianity has over 300 million Christians just in China alone where it's illegal. It's taken over Latin America, Africa, North America, Europe. It doesn't know those kinds of things. It's the only faith tradition in history that has more women adherent than men adherents. Why? Because it gives value to people that are lowly in this world and says it doesn't matter. If there's people around you that think might makes right, there's something bigger that's inside you. Christianity changes things. I was reading not too long ago about during the Black Plague. We used to call pandemics plagues. Now we call them pandemics. But there's been many throughout history. You know what the reaction of Christians has been over and over and over again? Stay, serve, heal, and if necessary, if you die, you die. That's something that's different inside. I was reading about women during the Black Plague that... They would sit in churches all day who were nursing moms and other people would bring babies whose moms had died who would starve to death if they didn't have breast milk and they would sit there and nurse other people's babies until their milk ran dry and then wait a few hours and start nursing again. And some of those women died of the plague because they refused to leave. That kind of commitment changes things. You say, the kingdom is in me. It's already, I'm taking it everywhere I go. And I don't care about this crappy world and all the stuff that's going on around me. I am taking the kingdom with me. I'm not worried about who gets the next election. I'll vote like everybody else. But that is not the kingdom I'm trying to build. Christianity changes things. And the values that we show are the greatest way that we help people begin to understand this little man all the way over here to my left, your right. His name is Musa. And Pastor Sam, a few years ago, I, I could tell you stories I don't have time to, but there's been a ministry to kids that had gangrene and, and, and were amputees. And um, Sam saved the life of a young man named Emmanuel. And one day, the hospital called, and they said, hey, we've got another one. We've got a kid here. And what had happened is Musa uh, came in. Um, I have a picture of meeting Musa for the first time right there. But when Musa went into the uh, uh, hospital, he needed to lose a foot, several fingers, and most of his toes. And the dad said, we can't have a little boy who is maimed and disabled. So he said, put some Vaseline on him and we'll take him home. If he lives, he lives. And the hospital, the nurses there, that, that Pastor Tina, um, it's, it's a tough place, but there's dedicated people that work there. And they called Sam and the staff searched for two days before they found Musa. And they said, we will pay for the operation. And the dad said, you pay for the operation, you bought the boy. And they said, we will take him in. And now Musa lives at iDream. Uh, he still gets around. He's missing a foot. He's missing some fingers, but he gets around. He plays soccer with the other boys. I love to, when I go there, I'll buy like five or six Cokes and go, Musa, go be a hero to your friends around here. Musa is an amazing young man. I think Musa has a modeling career in front of him. He is valued. He is famous. He is loved because the kingdom does not have the same values. Jesus says the kingdom is already here, but Jesus says also the kingdom is still coming. 
Matthew 6, in his most famous prayer, Jesus said, this is then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Make earth look like heaven. Say, wait a second, you just said the kingdom is already here. How is this kingdom still coming? Because we're still taking ground. We're still taking ground. The kingdom comes when we get inside of us and we begin to expand. And, you know, it's interesting as you look at maybe even you've seen people that, this week that can say, okay, in the book of Revelation, Israel is attacked. And there's, I heard somebody talking about the red heifers coming and all this kind of stuff. And there's always been people, they look at the scriptures and the Bible and they say, listen, uh, it's all symbolic. We could figure it out along the way. And other people say, no, it's all still coming. We can see someday the book of Revelation is going to read like, like the newspaper. And some people say it already happened. We can look through history and see how history is repeating itself. You know who the greatest person in terms of the end times ever was? A thief on the cross. Who hung there next to Jesus for six hours and recognized something. This man is a king. This man who is being tortured to death next to me, who seems powerless, is actually a king. And as he, lay, as he hung there dying next to Jesus, he said, I don't think I understand. There's no way I could understand what your kingdom looks like. But here's the deal. Whatever it looks like, remember me because I want to be a part of your kingdom. That's all we need to do. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to highlight things. We don't have to put the Bible against things. We don't have to watch those guys on Sunday morning who have it all figured out. We say, Jesus, whatever your kingdom looks like, that's what I want to be a part of because I want to bring your kingdom. If you build it, he will come is the line from a Kevin Costner movie. It's not in the Bible. The kingdom comes when we go. We take it with us. We take it with us. And Jesus says, listen, there's an overlapping kingdom where racism has no power, where poverty has no power, where murder has no power. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. We'll go back to the story of Jesus at the banquet. He says this, it says this, on hearing this, we read it, a man sitting at the table exclaimed, what a blessing it's going to be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Somebody is getting it. And then Jesus did what he always does. He tells a story. Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. And I want to try them out. Please excuse me. That won't work, ladies, to get out of a date this next weekend. Uh, might work. Maybe you have oxen. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Lots of people use that. Servant returned, told his master what they'd said, and the master was furious. And he said, go quickly into the streets and alleys in the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he said, there is still room for more I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today but I'm just telling you you might say man I'm a misfit I'm sitting on the outside I don't even know what I'm doing here the Bible says no 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 there is still room for more in the kingdom you may have been excluded maybe you're weeping maybe you're hungry there is still room for more 
Master says, go out and get people. Find them in the alleys, in the byways, the people that no one cares about. They're so far out that they've got it worse than the disabled and the poor. Nobody cares about those people. My house needs to be full. The kingdom comes when we go get them. I'm so excited that so many of you are here today, but I see empty chairs. Let's fill those. There are people out there that all the fancy churches in Sacramento are not competing with you for. Go find them. Let's bring them so that the house will be full. I'll end with this story. Um, so not only did I have the opportunity to travel to Ukraine, I've always, I also spent some time in uh, Peru. I, I was watching those videos, just feeling so jealous. And uh, last time I was in Peru, we were setting up for a trip. We were going to do school assemblies. Uh, government went on strike. Long story short, with 80 people, 10 days out, we had to switch, and we switched to Quito, Ecuador. And um, actually, uh, Desiree and Robbie, who's here with us today, were, were there on that trip. Long story short, in eight, with 80 people, we, took, we did school assemblies, leaving a copy of God's Word in their hands for every single one of them, 260,000 students in five school days. On the way back, we had a bomb threat in our connecting airport in Lima, Peru, and so it made us miss our next flight. And... Uh, to, to summarize the story, it took us 41 hours and 12 planes to get everyone home. And when my wife, Tanya, who was in the lobby, when she picked me up at SFO, uh, her, she, was, she didn't go with us because she was almost eight months pregnant. Her belly was almost touching the steering wheel in our Toyota Tacoma. I remember looking over her and I said, I am so tired. I'm glad that dude isn't coming anytime soon. We already knew we were having a boy. I said, because I am going to sleep for a week. 5 a.m. the next morning, I woke up to her shaking me. You ever wake up, you're like, you cannot make your eyes focus, you know? Like, what am I on drugs? What's happening in this situation? And I remember looking, I said, what is going on, crazy woman? And she said, my water broke. I looked at the floor, there was a little puddle. I remember thinking, huh, that's a real thing. I thought it was a saying. I didn't know, dumb dad, I, first timer. I said, what do you need from me? Do you need me to clean up? She said, you idiot. You have to drive me to the hospital. I said, your thing makes more sense. I remember driving to the hospital and thinking about those stories. I'd read studies where they go, you know, like, if you're really, really, really tired, it's worse than even driving drunk. And uh, I just thought, oh, Lord, if you're real, and I know that you are, this will go quickly. 31 hours later, our son Declan was born. And... Uh, like any good dad, while my wife was in labor, I went out and got a digital camera. And he was crusty, he had the cone head, covered with goo. I'd never seen anything so beautiful in my life. He's here today, he's 20 years old. And uh, I, I just felt my whole life change. He fit into our life instantly. We took him everywhere. We'd go to a gymnasium to speak to 2,000 students in school, hand him off to the girl that's been babysitting since she's five. You know the type go to churches like this. He fit in everywhere. Everyone loved him. hundred people came to his first birthday party. I mean, it was just, this kid was well-loved, and before he was even two years old, he already flown with us 
31 times, been to several countries, 15 states, had a little baby passport. But right before his second birthday, we sat across the table from a pediatrician who had been examining him for the last 90 minutes. And as she sat down with us from one of those awkwardly small tables, she said, uh, hey, your son is beautiful. I know he's loved. I know he's a wonderful young man and that he's valued, but there's a reason why you brought him here today. There's a reason why he can't talk anymore, although he used to be able to. There's a reason why he can no longer make eye contact with you at all. There's a reason why he can not even so much as point at something because your son Declan is autistic. And I know we know with one in 55 boys being born with autism these days, we know a lot more about that. But at the time, I didn't know much. And all I knew is that a curse had been pronounced on our family. I wanted to reach across the table and choke that lady out. One of the things you figure out is that things change pretty quickly when you have that kind of thing. You don't have a disabled member of your family. You become a disabled family. Your community changes special needs. All the boys that are going to birthday parties together, pretty soon your son isn't invited to those birthday parties anymore because nobody knows what he'll do. He's unpredictable. He makes funny noises. Restaurants get weird. Traveling becomes impossible or difficult. My wife could no longer travel with me because our son had 40 hours a week in therapy. My son is here. He's an amazing young man. He's in adult transition school. He fights his anxiety and all the things that come along with autism on a daily basis. He so much wanted to come to church with us here today because church after church after church, he's valued. People treat him like he is a person with great value. I had no doubt about this church. But I'll tell you something. When you hear Jesus say, you're inviting the wrong people, here's the kind of people that you need to invite. When you're a family like mine, it doesn't sound like scolding. It sounds like an invitation. It sounds like grace and hope and life. And I'll just end with the this story before I bring my friend Sam up to talk a little bit about child sponsorship. We were in Baja, California, and we were building a home for a lady named Rita. She had six kids. Her husband was abusive, and one of the only families to ever build a home for that she didn't actually own the land. We usually try to help people who can help themselves a little bit, um, but a nonprofit had bought the land for her, and she could use it as long as her husband didn't come back because he was abusive and couldn't continue that cycle. And so that week as we build, Rita is this amazing person, but a lot of mixed feelings because she realized her marriage was over and she was going to be a single mom with six kids from here on out. Um, but this beautiful home was being built for her. And the day we had the dedication, if you come along with us, you'll experience this with us. We went around the table. I had 38 uh, people with us that week, a, a lot to build a home like that. Most of them are public school students from right here in Sacramento that we'd brought along. We spoke at an assembly, a coaching program, something like that. And Rita began to weep uncontrollably at some point. Mixed emotions became a particular emotion of sadness as she realized what was going on. And I watched, nobody knew what to do. It was one of those awkward situations. But one little boy, 10 years old, walked across the circle and looked her in the eye. He didn't know that many words, but he said, what's the matter? And then he reached over and dried her tears with his elbow. And as we stood there, I thought, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. 
one misfit. Reaching out to another. Saying, you're valued. You're valued. In the kingdom of God, the lowly are first. The last rule the world. The persecuted are powerful. Two coins of a widow are more valuable than the riches of excess of a prominent man. Poor favor the disabled display God's power. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.